You're listening to Family Life at Cornerstone. A weekly devotion about what is happening in the life of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. I'm Justin Wheeler. I'm the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we're going to continue our study in the book by Jerry Bridges, The Gospel for Real Life. And we are talking about chapter 9 and what it means to have right standing with God. Now, this is an important chapter because, well, it's an important chapter for those of us who really enjoy understanding the theological foundations of our faith and our confidence um, in Christ. And so this is a really important chapter, and it, and it starts out in a way that I just think is, is wonderful. It's a way that I, I like to start out every sermon that I preach or, or really all the lessons that I like to teach, whether it's in a small group setting or you know, even to my children or in a discipleship group or whatever. I always like to start with some form of a question to get our minds thinking about uh, where we're going to go. And, and that's exactly what Jerry Bridges does in this chapter. And it's a, it's a good way to start because the idea of right standing with God is one that you know some of us need to think about more deeply. But here's how he, he starts the chapter. He basically he begins to tell a story uh, about Rabbi Harold Kushner and this quote from his book, uh, when bad things happen to good people, and he says there's only one question which really matters. Why do bad things happen to good people? And then the rabbi goes on, and he says that um, you know all other theological conversation is intellectually diverting. In other words, the main question that we should be asking is, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, that's not a, not a bad question to ask. I would reframe the question and say, based on our understanding of the Scriptures, that uh, bad things do happen, but bad things don't happen necessarily to good people. We're not all good people. But then Jerry Bridges comes back and he says this. He says, listen, that's a great question, but that's not the only question. If we're going to narrow it down to what is the only question or what is the most important question of life, it would have to be something quite different. And he goes on and says, the most important question that all of us face is how can a sinful man or woman come into a right relationship with an infinitely holy and just God? Now, there are a lot of questions that we think are important. There's a lot of questions that we want to ask, big life questions like, you know, what is the, what is the foundation of reality? Um, what sources of information can I trust? You know, what is true? Um, how did we get here? Where are we going? What is our purpose in life? All of those things are big philosophical questions that we tend to ask. But from a biblical perspective, or I should say it this way, from a biblical Christian worldview, the most important question that the scriptures press into us or press upon us is this. How can we have a right relationship with an infinitely holy and just God? And the reason we want to ask that question is because the Bible unfolds reality to us in such a way that it helps us understand that we are we have been created by God and that we have been put on this earth with a purpose and that purpose is to um, glorify God and to serve God and to honor God. And in reality, we don't do that. By nature, we are according to Ephesians 2, children of wrath. We are set apart from God. We are not united to Him. We're divided from Him because of our sin. And, and 
we're going to have to answer to that. We can't just wash that away and act like, well, that's just a reality and it's nothing that we need to concern ourselves with. No, we do need to deeply concern ourselves with how can we restore the relationship with God that has been broken. Now, that's exactly what this chapter is all about. It's about how do we have right standing with God. And so let's ask the question, what does it mean to have a right relationship with God? Well, it means that whatever is standing between us and God is, is, is dealt with and removed. And the thing that's standing between us and God is our sin. Uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And, and we can go all the way back and look into the scriptures and see not just that theological understanding of sin and how it uh, brings about uh, an unfavorable relationship with God, but we can even see in the narrative of the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were no longer allowed to live in the presence of God. They had to leave the presence of God. And so we are not in a right relationship with God at this point because of our sin. And because of our sin, the thing that we are looking toward, uh, the, the place that our life is going, is toward judgment for our sin. And that's, a, that's not a, a warm, fuzzy prospect. That's a, that's a situation that everyone should be eager to resolve. But the question is, okay, well, how is that problem going to be resolved? How do we have a right relationship with God? Now, there are some answers to this question. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that people try to answer this question. I mean, different religions answer it in different ways. Um, some religions, most religions, are going to apply a man-centered response. In other words, if, if there's a problem with our relationship with our Creator, a problem, a brokenness, a breakdown in that relationship, which everybody identifies with, you know, whether you're, you're a biblical Christian or you're of some other world faith, there's all this, this identification with the fact that something is wrong, something is not right. Fundamentally, there's a problem. And, and so world religions come up with different answers on how to you know, how they believe in, in the mind of a man, how they believe that they can actually solve that problem. And the vast majority of them assume that there's something that man must do in order to overcome the deficit. There's something that man has to um, earn or gain or merit through good works or through some form of penitence, or maybe it's through some form of suffering. And, and the goal is that we can apply... Um, to our lives, this effort that is going to overcome the separation that we now have with our God, our Creator, ultimate reality. Now, the problem with that is that the Bible comes at that question and says, if, if that's your answer, you have absolutely no hope. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 3. This is a pretty well-known passage for many of us, but in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is actually He's, he's trying to answer this question, how can a man or how can a woman, how can a person have a right relationship with God? And it comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Here's what it says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood 
to be received by faith. Now, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Now, right before that, the Apostle Paul wrote that by the works of the law, no human being is going to be justified. Because what we need in order to be justified, and we'll define justification in a minute, what we need to be justified is a righteousness that we can't produce in ourselves. No human being will be justified by the works of the law. In other words, we got a problem and we can't solve it. The problem that we have in our separation from God because of our sin is not one that we can just solve. It's not one that we can overcome. It's one that must be overcome for us. Now, what I just read from you was basically the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of God, explaining how God is the one who has overcome our problem. And this was a huge issue, the issue of justification. Um, Now, let me define that term. Let's try to make sense out of what that term actually means. And to do that, I want to, you know, I want us to look at, uh, well, we can look at different passages of Scripture, but I want us to particularly look at a definition that one of our late brothers, Dr. R.C. Sproul, who just passed away, uh, recently, in his little book, which I love this book, by the way. It's a wonderful book. Every Christian, I think, should have it on their shelf. It, it's a book called Essential Truths of the Christian Faith, 100 Key Doctrines in Plain Language. Now, it it serves in two capacities. It serves as a little, uh, kind of like a Bible dictionary or a theological dictionary, in that if you have a term that you're interested in, you can look it up and not only get a definition for it, but a good, solid biblical explanation uh, complete with you know, summary questions or statements as well as different Bible passages to look up. It's a wonderful book. I'll say it again, R.C. Sproul's book, Essential Truths of the Christian Faith. And in the chapter on justification, he, he, writes, he, he writes this, Justification may be defined as that act by which unjust sinners are made right in the sight of a just and holy God. Now, it's important that he said it is an act, a singular act. The supreme need of unjust persons is righteousness. It is this lack of righteousness that is supplied by Christ on behalf of the believing sinner. Justification by faith alone, which is a Reformation doctrine that was discovered, justification by faith alone means justification, being made right with God, by the righteousness or merit of Christ alone, not by our goodness or good deeds. Now, he goes on and he he talks about this. He says justification is forensic. That is, he defines what he means by this, we are declared, we are counted, we are reckoned to be righteous when God imputes the righteousness of Christ to our account. In other words, it's a legal setting. It's a legal term. As, As God stands to judge us in his law court, at, at the point of our faith in Christ, the singular act of God whereby we are made right with God is by the application of the righteousness of Christ to our account. It is forensic. We don't automatically become 100% righteous in our daily life. It's not a practical righteousness, but it is an imputed righteousness. It's one that is credited to our account. Now, here's the question. How is it credited to our account? I mean, is it just happen miraculously? Is it just something that, uh, you know, 
that, that, that we have no part in at all. Well, that's not exactly true. The Reformation doctrine that we love about how we come into right relationship with God is that we are justified by Christ's work when we trust in His work by faith. So, this is what's interesting about all that we're discussing right now. This, this doctrine that talks about our need of righteousness, the gospel tells us that that righteousness that we need is a righteousness that was provided for us by Christ. And it is a righteousness that is um, applied to our account when we trust in Christ by faith. Bridges kind of sums up this section uh, on page 93 in his book. He says, This righteousness from God is nothing less than the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, who, though his sinless life and his death in obedience to the Father's will, perfectly fulfilled the law of God in both its precepts and its penalty. In other words, this righteousness that God both requires and provides embraces all the work of Christ that we have been studying up to this point. He's talking about in this book. So how do we obtain this righteousness? Well, we obtain this righteousness by faith, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to faith, there's this work that God does. First of all, we're dead in our sins. We learn this from Romans, I mean Ephesians chapter 2. But God, in His mercy and in His love, make us alive. He makes us alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that work of making us alive is through the means of faith. By grace are you saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. And so God is the one who not only demands this righteousness of us, God is the one who also provides this righteousness for us, and then God applies this righteousness to us when he works this grace in us that brings us to faith in Christ. It's an amazing work of God. That's why we say that salvation is for the glory of God alone. It's all of grace. Now, there's another verse in this book that Jerry Bridges mentions on the top of page 95, and and it's one of my favorites as well. But here's what he says at the top of page 95. He says, The Apostle Paul expressed this whole concept very succinctly in what is Jerry Bridges' favorite verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then he explains, you know, he's a great teacher in this book. He helps us understand what that means. He says, that is, God took our sin and imputed it or credited it um, to Christ on the cross. And Christ paid the price for it. And then God took his righteousness and imputed it or credited that to us. To put it in a very contemporary form, God treated Christ as we deserve to be treated so that he might treat us as Christ deserved to be treated. Now, so this faith saves us. This faith is the mechanism by which all of the benefits and blessing of God get poured out on us. And and I'm just abandoning Jerry Bridges for a little bit. You can see this all over the pages of the New Testament. This is what, what the Apostle Paul is so intent on teaching us about, that right standing with God comes not on the basis of our works, but Christ's work. And it comes through this mechanism of faith. And since we have faith, we are now justified. We now have peace with God. This is Romans 5.1. 
So right standing with God, how do we have that right relationship with God? Well, it's not going to come based on our works. It's going to come based on the works of Christ. It's not going to come based on something that we earn. It's going to come based on something that He credits to us. And it's going to come to us when we believe the gospel and when we put our faith in Jesus. Now, how does that faith come to us? And what does that faith look like? Those are some of the questions that this chapter is going to answer for us. But we could just flip over to Romans chapter 10 and understand a little bit about how that faith comes to us. You know, the Lord Jesus said that no one is going to come um, to eternal life unless they are born again. No one comes into the kingdom unless they're born again. But how does that born again actually work? Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God makes us alive. That's a reference to the new birth. But how does all of that work? Well, in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is he's basically explaining exactly how that happens. But he starts at the point of a person confessing faith in Christ. He says this. He says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. He also says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he asks a question. Well, how are we going to call? How are they going to call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And he goes on in the end and he says, this is how it's going to happen. Faith, that is saving faith, that results in the application of Christ's righteousness to our account, that faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. So we're going to come into right relationship with God when we hear the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit works with that gospel message in our hearts to bring about life and faith. And this faith is, like I said earlier, it's an act by which unjust sinners are made right in the sight of God. That's what R.C. Sproul wrote in his book. But it's not just an act of faith that doesn't affect our lives. It's faith that is a living faith. It's not an empty faith. Uh, It's not just simply a profession of faith. It's a possession of faith. It's a personal trust that clings to Christ alone and doesn't stop clinging to Christ alone. Now, Bridges goes on and he explains this a little bit better. At the bottom of page 97, he says this. He says, I like to say that exercising faith involves renunciation and reliance. The scriptures teach that trusting in Christ necessarily involves renouncing any trust in our own good works. And I would add, it also results in renouncing our old way of life. That's repentance. But it also means that we must entirely rely on the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And this is something we do on a regular basis. This is something we do day after day. We are renouncing the notion or the idea or the motivation that we earn a right standing with God. And we rely on the fact that Jesus Christ and His righteousness is what has earned us a right relationship to God. And we sing this in our songs. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Or 
or the rock of ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Now, I say this a lot when I'm preaching, is that we come to Christ with the empty hands of faith. Claiming no merit of our own is what I mean. We, we don't come offering God something that, that He's supposed to accept uh, in order to allow us into His heaven. No, no, no. We come with empty hands and we cling to Christ alone. And it's there that we are justified. And justification, meaning we are declared righteous. We now have right standing. We now have a right relationship with God, a restored relationship with God. It, it means that the war is over. We are no longer objects of God's wrath, but we are His dearly loved children. Now, one last thing I'll say, and this this comes straight out of Jerry Bridges' book. I think it's a great comment. He talks about this in the bottom of page 99. He says, in Romans 5, Paul speaks of justification in the past tense. We have been justified. Justification is a point-in-time experience that occurs the moment a person trusts in Christ as Savior. He goes on and says, I realize the precise moment of justification is not identifiable to many people who grow up in Christian homes and whose faith in Christ was a growing experience. If such is your situation, I would ask, are you trusting in Christ as your Savior today? If so, there was a time known only to God when you were justified. You were declared righteous before Him, and you can have confidence in this fact. So justification is a point-in-time event that results in a continuing permanent change of status. Wow. And this is a great chapter. I would encourage you to read over it slowly, ask a lot of questions along the way, look different things up along the way. But here's where he, ha- he wants us to come back to. Remember, he wants us to understand that this truth is supposed to affect our lives every day, that the reality of the gospel is supposed to motivate us and comfort us every single day. And here's how he ends the chapter. He, he ends it with a couple of questions. He says, listen, there's nothing that you will ever do that makes you acceptable to God. You must be accepted for Christ's sake, not only when you believe, but for all of life. Regardless of how much you grow in Christ, you will never arrive at a point when your Christian character or conduct will make you acceptable to God. Now, that's a big deal, and and many of us have rejected the notion of uh, sinless perfectionism. We've, We've rejected the notion of legalism, but we've also rejected the notion of sinless perfectionism, but some haven't. And sometimes in our hearts, even though we reject it in theory, we still live that way. He goes on, he says, but you will always be dependent on the perfect righteousness of Christ. God will accept nothing else. And then he asks a couple of questions. Take some time to prayerfully ask yourself these questions. Do I have a right relationship with God based on the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ? This may be for those of you who are struggling or questioning or doubting. Am I trusting in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation? Or am I, to some degree, relying on my own morality and religious duties? If I know that I am justified through faith in Christ, do I enjoy the reality of it in my daily experience? Or do I look to my own performance for my acceptance with God? Wow, great questions for us to ask on any given day, but especially today. Hey, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC 
Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thanks for listening.